Hello, my name is Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. My prayer for you is that this message would be meaningful to you, that it would challenge you, and that it would help you move forward in your faith. To be a part of all that we get to do here at Redefined Church, visit us online at churchredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. We have special guest speakers today. For the first time in the history of our church, we have somebody bringing a message other than me or my wife. And so I'm excited about this. I'm anxious. One, because I get to recharge and renew. I get to get fed. I get to take notes on a Sunday for the first time in a long, long time. And so this is family. This is family speaking today. This is Redefined Church family. Alan and Brenda Miller are going to be speaking today. They're speaking on the generosity of Jesus, how we are generous inside the body of believers. And so a phenomenal message. I've only seen the notes. I've not heard it yet. I'm just like you. I'm sitting in the same seat as you today. So I'm anxious to hear and I'm anxious for you to hear. And so do not miss engaging today as we hear this incredible message from Alan and Brenda. My name is Alan Miller, and this is my beautiful wife, Brenda Miller. Happy spring! It's an honor to bring this segment of the Given to Give series that Pastor Otis has put together. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the subject, Do I Have the Faith to Be Generous? So when this time of year is coming around, Easter's just around the corner, And when we think of generosity and the total act of unselfishness that Jesus displayed, sacrificing his self for our sins, we always look at that as the ultimate act of generosity. God's son bringing God's kingdom to earth, all God's plan and his grace and mercy lavished upon us. And we recognize we must put our faith and trust in God for our salvation because we don't have the ability to justify and save ourselves before a righteous God. However, for a lot of us, that's where the journey ends, is right there at our salvation. And at that point, we say, Lord, I got it from here. And we stop growing in our relationship with God on how He deals with us, what He wants to do in our lives personally, how He wants to deal with our finances in our life. And the real question for us is this, do I have the same faith and trust in God for my financial resources as I placed in Him at the day of my salvation? Am I trusting You, Lord? Do I trust You with everything that I have? Am I generous? A lot of us look at this and we don't understand what generosity is because we're, we're investing our generous acts in the world system, not in the kingdoms. Uh, one guy said uh, to me one time, says, are you investing your resources in the first kingdom and trust or are you investing it in the first me and trust? So it, it comes down to where am I putting my heart and my resources as Jesus has told us that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to follow. So when we define generosity and we think about being generous, who comes to mind? Uh, who's the most generous person that you can think of? In the world system, uh, I googled this and it came up with several that are familiar to us. Bill Gates is at the top of the list and then Warren Buffett and then uh, several others that, that come to mind. Maybe for you, it's, you know, maybe a family member or a friend or someone that you've known in the past. Brenda, who, who comes to mind for you when you think of a generous person? Oh my goodness, the only person that comes to mind right now is Mother Teresa. And she had nothing to do with finances. It was all in her serving. And that's where her generosity came, was in her serving people. Oh. So her generosity wasn't defined necessarily by how much money she had. It was more of an attitude, wouldn't you say? An right. attitude of, of how she served and what she did for the kingdom of God. So when we think of generosity, what defines it? What defines it for you, Brenda? Uh, what defines a generous person? But gosh, that's a hard question. I mean, I don't even know how to answer that right now. Like what defines a a generous person? I would assume that they would um, need to have faith. 
if they're generous, that um, their faithfulness defines their generosity. That would be an indicator of what, um, if a person is generous or not, is yeah. if you see them being faithful, if that's their example. Yeah, that's good. It's more that um, faith defines your generosity rather than your generosity defining your faith. It's, it's, it's an interesting concept. Uh, according to Market Watch research, the U.S. has been the most generous nation over the past two decades and with a downward trend over the last eight years. Conversely, the least generous nation in the world over that same period of time is China and with a continuing downward trend for being generous as well. And overall, the entire world, if you look at all the nations, their generosity is in a downward, it's in a downward trend. So what, what is that telling us? We're seeing a downward trend in generosity. What, is, what does that say? What does that say to you? Well, it tells me I need to keep what's mine. I need to protect what's mine and I need to control what's mine. Well, big on the last one, big control on what is mine. I like controlling what is mine. So yeah, I think about this is that are we born generous? Are we have a spirit of generosity when we born or are we like this? Hey, wait a minute. Since when is Pismo Beach inside a cave? I wonder, uh, you know, I just bet we should have turned left at Albuquerque and then maybe a right turn at La Jolla. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Well, we can't be too far off. So if we, uh... It's mine, you understand? Mine! All mine! Get back in there! Down, down, down! Go, go, go! Mine, mine, mine! Well off. Oh my goodness, no. I absolutely don't <laughs> want to be like that. Lord have mercy. I I want to be an example um, for my children of generosity. I don't want this mind mentality. Although, um, before I received Jesus in my heart, I really was. Like, I wasn't generous. I didn't understand what generosity was until I looked to Jesus and his example of um, me truly giving my heart to him and understanding that he gave it all. He gave his life for me. That's the, that's a beautiful example of generosity. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, today, what we want to do is we want to take a look at God's viewpoint, specifically in the realm of financial uh, generosity. So the first thing we want to talk about before we even get out of the gate, what God wants us to understand is this perspective first, right out of the gate. He wants us to know who owns it. Psalms 24 and 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai 2 and 8 says the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Psalms 50, 10, and 11 says, For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills is mine, and I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the field, they're mine too. In John 16 and 15, Jesus says this, All that belongs to the Father is mine. So Jesus is saying, Cattle on a thousand hills, they're mine. The gold, it's mine. The birds of the air, it's mine. So I know some of you are saying, well, what about the stuff that's in the sea? Well, do I need to remind you about the story of Jonah? But Matthew 17, 27, Jesus puts this better. The context of this uh, passage here is that Peter has been confronted by some of the religious leaders in the temple, and they're asking Peter, doesn't your master pay taxes to the temple? So Peter comes back and he relays this information to Jesus. 
Matthew 17, 27 says this, but so we won't offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook and take the first fish you catch. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. What's really cool about this is it says this, Jesus owns the fish in the sea and he also knows the ones that are most generous. This first one was caught was bearing money in it and it was brought to Jesus and for his use and his purpose. Notice when Jesus speaks this to Peter, Brenda, he said, what does he say? Wow, I mean, the common theme is, is that it's here is that Jesus is first and then, it, then it's us. It's so. amazing, it's amazing. Jesus says this to Peter, take it to them for me and you. Jesus puts himself first place in the payment of this tax. So we have to keep that in mind. It's always God first in everything that we're thinking about. The second thing that God wants us to understand is where generosity originates. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this. This is our favorite passage. <clears throat> it says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This generosity, it originates in God's thoughts. That is His idea. It's His plan. It's His plan for each one of us. And He's always on the lookout. He's on the search for kingdom-minded hearts, kingdom-minded people, kingdom-minded devotion. Second Chronicles 16 and 9. And the CSB says this, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are wholeheartedly committed to him or devoted to him. You got a good story on this, Brenda, how God showed himself strong to you. Well, um, I was a single mom and of two kids and uh, received Jesus like just a few years prior and um, really was diving into the scripture and understanding it. And the Lord gave me, one of the first scriptures he gave me was Jeremiah 29, 11, that he had plans for me and a hope and a future. And he gave me Isaiah 54, which says that God would be my husband and that no weapon formed against me would prosper. And I found myself one week, it was at the beginning of the week and there was no money left and no groceries left in the, in the house. And so I was praying and talking to, the, talking to God and saying, you said you were gonna be my husband and I don't have enough groceries here. I don't have enough money. I don't get paid until the end of the week. So it was more of like a complaining session to him and telling him that I had need. And um, I went to work, got my kids ready, went to work, uh, worked all day, came home around 6.30, and uh, went to my front door, and there's three sacks of groceries on my front doorstep. And I was, it took my breath away because I didn't tell another soul, didn't tell another soul but God. That's amazing. What, did, what, what is it that you learned from that? I mean, it's an amazing story of trust and faith, but you aligned yourself with God's purpose because you were, you were tithing everything that you could at that time. You were given to God as a single mother. Yep. Man, it was mind explosive. Like it blew my brain that how faithful God is if we give him our little bit. He does own it all and he is so faithful and he is the uh, first one that was ever generous. He, he made the world. He created me. He created me and my uniqueness, like my fingerprints. I'm the only person on this earth that will ever bear these fingerprints. That's how generous he was to me in making me unique. And so I'm forever grateful for what he did for me. It's an amazing story. It's being aligned with God's purpose is God's plan for us. So for us to have the kind of generosity that 
God showed Brenda. One of the things is that we have to align ourselves with that type of thinking. To have God kind of generosity, that has to be lived out. It has to be lived out from a heaven perspective. It's not earth's perspective that that comes from. If we want our acts, if we want our personal acts of generosity to last more than five minutes or five hours or a couple of days, whatever it may be, we have to have a heaven perspective. We've got to be able to have a kingdom connection that goes along with it. Otherwise, as the Bible says, it'll just be burn up. It's wood, hay, and stubble. So if we want something to last for eternity, we've got to have heaven's perspective and we've got to have the kingdom connection to it. So Jesus doesn't withhold this from us. He says, this is how to have the kingdom connection here. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, we've heard this before a lot of times. This context is talking about not being anxious and not worrying about our food, our shelter, our clothes, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, what we're going to do. But there's something specific here that he says to us that is key. It's to seek the kingdom first and then his righteousness. My question to myself when I looked at this, I, I, I was saying, if I'm anxious, how, how generous can I really be? If I'm, not, if I'm not trusting God for giving me something to drink and eat today, um, how generous can I be with what I have to somebody else because I want to keep it for me. I want to keep it for me. And I think Luke 12 and 31 even is a better picture. Jesus says this. He says, seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. He says, don't be afraid. Verse 32, he says this specifically. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Why does Jesus make this statement, don't be afraid? What do you think is going on there? Well, um, whenever I was growing up, it was a very uh, tormenting childhood. Um, lots of abuse. So that lots of fear instilled. And so for me, it, it took great faith on my behalf in order to even seek the kingdom of God. It took great faith on my behalf uh, to be generous um, because I was fearful of everything. That's what was, that's how I was trained. That's how I was groomed whenever I was growing up was to be in fear. And so it took great faith in order for me to stand on the word of God. Like I was telling you before, Isaiah 54, I had to truly believe in faith that God was my husband and that he was going to provide for me. And it took every bit of faith that I had. But God said in his word that we only have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's like the smallest seed on this earth. But if we have that kind of faith, it grows up into this big, big tree um, that's greater than most other trees. And so he's not saying, he's not telling me, Brenda, you're a single mom and you need to have all this faith right now. That's not so. He loves us so much and he is so generous with his faithfulness that he understands that our little faith is enough. And so we have to, we have to align ourselves with, um, the kingdom perspective. So what is, what does the Bible say and what's the kingdom perspective, um, about faith and generosity and not being afraid? Yeah. It's, that statement to me is, I'm just going to add into what Brenda said here. The, the thing to me is that Jesus knows that's going to be our first thought, is fear. That's why he addresses it first. And he says, don't be afraid because it takes faith, as you were saying, to step out and get out of the undertow that has been taking you down the path for years and years. And for a lot of us, when we look at our generosity, there has been a generational undertow that has 
pulled us in a direction. This is why I look at the downward trend of generosity with, with the nations is that there is this undertow that's taking us away from being generous to being more selfish. And so Jesus knows if you're going to jump cultures from the culture of the world to the culture of the kingdom, it's going to be a challenge for us. And it's, he knows that it's going to be fear that we're going to deal with first. It totally reminds me of the movie Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Uh, he, he was in this deep cave. Uh, the enemy was behind him. He's being chased. He gets to this point in the cave where he sees this dark black <clears throat> cavern. And on the other side, which was a great distance, he saw this little light and he had to take one step of faith into that darkness that illuminated the, the pathway all the way to the other side. So we might, it might be scary to take that step of faith to be generous or to be faithful in an area that um, looks like just darkness. However, God, but God, He is with us and He's the ultimate one that's, that's completely faithful. And so all we have to do is take that one step of faith, the size of a mustard seed, and what does our God do? He illuminates the pathway before us. That's so good, Brenda. The, the thing for, for me and, and for us, when we started our business years ago, we had uh, got into the oil industry and we actually started the company at the worst possible time. The bottom fell out in the oil industry. And during that time, God did sustain us. And there were several men that lost their jobs. And, and one day when we started to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and it wasn't a train, we started praying, Lord, what's our next step? What is the next thing that we're, that we're supposed to do? So my understanding of how you are in business, well, you got to make yourself known. You have to put out information. You have to have sales representatives knocking on doors. You got to make trade shows. You got to put advertisement in magazines. Um, there's things that you have to specifically do. And I was praying one, one day and I was asking, I said, Lord, what, what's my next step? What is the next step that we need to take in terms of where we need to go? And I said, this guy's out of work. I could get him. Or we could hire this guy. This guy could be on the East Coast. This guy could be on the West Coast. I just went down a litany of names. And it's just like we were sitting right here. And I said, Lord, what is it? And he said this, what would you rather have working for your company? Thousands of the best salespeople you could possibly find knocking on every door that you can imagine. Or would you rather have five ministries praying for your business? Well, at that point, that was a total shock to me. It was, it was a total paradigm shift because that was not on my radar. That, that's not business 101. That's not business 101. You think about, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That one came back up to me multiple times after that. But giving to ministries to pray for my business to be successful wasn't, wasn't on the radar. And it wasn't because we hadn't been tithing. We'd been tithing our 11%. We, we tithed our 11%, but God wanted to take it to another place. Now, I got to say this. My wife is the most generous person that I know. And when I married her, I really didn't know that she was in a competition with God to see who could give the most away. She started with her stuff first. And then she went to mine. And then we, we got down to where it was trusting God with everything that we had left. But that's the way she rolls. And what God was saying, you need to get caught up with her. You need to understand that she understands something that you don't, that you can trust me at a different level than what you have understood before. So through that, <clears throat> these words, these scriptures fortified exactly 
what God was saying to me. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 in the CEB says this, this is precisely what is written. God has prepared things for those who love him that no eye has seen or ear has heard or that have even crossed the mind of any human being. And I can tell you for sure, it never entered my mind that giving to ministries was the best way to propagate the business because God was looking for generosity. He wasn't looking at necessarily the overall success of our business the way I was. The Catholic public domain version, I love this better, says this, but this is just as it has been written. The eye hasn't seen and the ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, into the heart of man, what things God has prepared for those who love him. So it, it, it didn't enter into my head, in my mind, nor had it entered into my heart, the things that God was wanting to prepare us for and what he wanted to use, how he wanted to use us. We've heard a lot of times if God can get it to you and through you, it's going to just keep coming as a channel. That's the thing. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you some way, somehow. You don't have to figure it out. And so today, the amazing thing about it is that our business has has seen stable times, even in the roughest of times, what we have seen is God's faithfulness come through. We don't, we're not on the internet. We don't advertise. We don't go to trade shows. We don't do any of that stuff. We let God's kingdom pull the cords, call the shots, whatever you want to say. But this is how God has rolled and we have rolled with him over the years. Now, the lessons from this are, are multiple. And, it, and the first thing was this for me is that, God doesn't think like I do, and He can't think like I do. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yes, He He can't think like I do because I have limited thinking. He has unlimited thinking. He's omniscient. And God doesn't view my situation from His perspective. He doesn't view through my eyes. He views through His eyes. It's His perspective, and really, that's the only one that matters. But what God does do... He gives me the choice. He gives us the choice to think like he does. He lays it out so that we can follow in his footsteps. One of the things that set me backwards uh, during that time was this scripture. here. It's Matthew 22 and 29. Jesus says this, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. I knew the scriptures, but I didn't know the power of God. And then when I looked at the power that he wanted to apply to my situation, I didn't really know the scriptures. I wasn't seeing it through his perspective. And the contrast between the world system and the undertow that it carries, and you compare it to the kingdom of God, there can't be any clear differentiation between the two. One will reach from coast to coast. That's as far as I can reach. But the other one reaches to the highest heavens and into eternity, and that's how God reaches. And it's all because of yielding our finances to Him in our personal finances and in our business. This was a big conflict for us, wasn't it? Holy camole. Like we had the biggest fight of our life early on uh, because I believed that um, our personal uh, finances and our our uh, business finances were two entities. They were two separate things. And Alan kept saying, no, they're one and the same. Alan and Brenda Miller and our company are one in the same. They're all in the same bucket. And I said, no, they're not. (laughs) And so, um, we, when we started our company, we went along until towards the end of the year and I added up what we needed to tithe out of the company. We'd always tithed out of our personal account on what we were making. And, and so then we started tithing out of our company and we just saw God do the supernatural. Like, 
it wasn't like um, a bucket load that came into our into our hands immediately, but it was that we got this job and this this truck didn't wear out and this and um, this material we got at a better price and and so um, God may not He may not pour back into you financially, but your stuff's not going to wear out. Like it's going to last longer. And, um, we just saw him increase us daily, increase us. Little by little. Yep. It, it was, it was quite a ride and it was a conflict between the two of us till I could get on board with the way that she saw things. Her kingdom perspective was greater than mine. And that's where God, that's Matthew 22, 29. You're mistaken because you don't understand my ways. Another example of another one missing it is, is the rich young ruler. And, and we've heard this before uh, over the years. We, we understand that, that Jesus is preaching and he's teaching. And here comes a, a rich young man and he approaches Jesus and he says, What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, Well, you know what it is. You honor your father and mother and you love the Lord your God. He says, I've done these things. I'm paraphrasing this. I've done these things from youth. And Jesus says, very good. So you only lack one thing. He says, you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And then, then you'll have treasures in heaven. And when he heard this, he was sad because it says he had a lot of possessions. He had great wealth, a young guy with a lot of great wealth. And his question is, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus lays it out before him, but it makes him sad. And it's because he didn't understand the kingdom principle that Jesus was trying to get him to align with. It, it makes me, it reminds me of the story of Abraham and Isaac because Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son and, and so he was obedient. And whenever they get to, to the point to where he was going to sacrifice his, his only son, Isaac, God made a way of escape. Um, he brought the um, the sacrificial Ram. animal mm -hmm. uh, um, in it in his son's place. So uh, we just never know uh, what God's going to ask us to do if we can just be obedient in the little steps. But the rich young ruler um, didn't have faith. He couldn't have faith to believe that God's plan was way bigger than his money and or his thinking and or his understanding. And so it's like the scripture that Alan was speaking about earlier that we don't understand the scriptures. So we, he was standing right before Jesus, the rich young ruler. He was standing in front of the Son of God and he wanted to be perfect in, in everything and that he had done everything perfectly. However, the one thing that was missing was faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you brought up the, the Abraham-Isaac thing because in, in Luke, um, Jesus is, is saying here is that these things are hard. And you think about how hard that was for Abraham or Abram, Abraham, to take his son and do that. But when you look at here in, uh, let me see, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. And that's what God said to Abraham. Now I know you love me. Now I know you serve me because you're not dissing me for the love of your son. If he would have let Isaac go and said, we're not going to do this, he would despise God. He would have despised God. But his faith and trust in God was so great 
that he set his mind on trusting God. He was only going to serve one. And this is the thing that the rich young ruler got to. He didn't even take the first step. He didn't take the first step to trust God with what he said. Jesus didn't tell him that you wouldn't have your wealth after you gave it away, that it wouldn't come back. He didn't say that. He just told him to take a step. And that was the first step. And he didn't say to the disciples after that episode that, you know, how hard it is for the wealthy or the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say that it was impossible. He just said, it's hard. It's hard. So when you go back to Luke, back in the 1232, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and don't be afraid, this guy wasn't around when he preached that one. He wasn't around. So when Jesus sees generosity, he's looking. He's looking for people that are generous. And he's looking for kingdom generosity. How, how that comes to his kingdom has always got to come to him first, right? It's got to come to him first. So when we see what Jesus is saying here in Luke 12, I want to take a look at Luke 12 and 15. He is talking to his disciples and, and a group that has gathered. He says to them, watch out, be on guard for all kinds of greed. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And after that statement, Jesus goes on to tell them a parable about a man that has great wealth and he's storing up his riches for his retirement, so to speak. And he says to himself, I've got enough. And in verse 19 through 21, it says this, I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. What does being rich towards God look like? Because I think that's a tremendous statement. How does being rich towards God, what does that look like? Well, Jesus sets a record for us. And it's amazing, in this time of the year, one of the very last things that Jesus did before his crucifixion, the last week that he spent in the synagogue, we have record of what he observed while he was there. He was watching people on how they gave. Luke 21, 1 through 4 says this, As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out of their gifts of wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in all that she had or all that she had to live on. So what is it about the widow's two coins that makes it greater than all the other gifts? We know they were more in terms of value, dollar-wise. Well, obviously, she, was, she had an attitude of gratefulness, firstly. Um, you know, just... Uh, she was rich towards God mm -hmm. because she gave everything. Like she gave everything. Everyone else was that Jesus was watching was giving out of their wealth. So they may have been tipping God at that point. And what did she do? She's a widow. She brings everything to him. Everything. Which represents her whole being. Mm -hmm. Who she is. Like she's grateful for what God has done for her. And you didn't see Jesus going back and seeing her do that and then going back and taking that offering back out of the, the, the bucket, um, and give it back to her because he's to say, Oh, you don't need to give that. No, he knew that if she was going to give it, 
that he was, she's trustworthy now in order for him to get it back through to her. Yep. And so um, it's a beautiful story. I was in Israel a couple of years ago and we stood on the steps of where that offering was taken. And it was um, just heart moving because um, me being a single mom at one point, uh, I, whenever I first believed and had faith that God was going to move on my behalf, I asked him this question, what is, what's, what's in the way, what's in, what's in the middle of me and you? And God reminded me of this offering that, uh, me and my first husband had, um, had stood up and said that we would give to a building, to a building program or, um, yeah, it was to a building program. And so this was a couple of years later and, the Lord said, um, you, you told me you would give that. And so, so he was dealing with my heart in that respect that, um, I was stingy, like I was stingy. And uh, to that point, we were just tipping God. We were not tithing to God. And, um, and so it took me almost a year. It was $500. It was just $500. And it took me almost a year to fulfill that commitment that we had made. And um, I just saw God move in the miraculous, just like my grocery story of someone putting gro leaving groceries on my doorstep. Things didn't, you know, run out for us. People would give my kids clothes or... You know, um, they would give us money here and there just randomly. And so, um, she gave it all. And so if we will just give it all, he's not stingy. He's so generous. Like Malachi says that if we will give, um, he will give back to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over that he's going to give back to us if we have faith to believe that he will do that. So That's it's good. Just... Yeah. It's amazing these women's stories that they seem to give more than anybody else. This next one is my absolute favorite. It's in John 12, one through three. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, why did Mary do this? Why did she do that? Well, it could have been maybe because she was grateful that Jesus had just raised her brother from the dead. Yeah, I'd say that's probably it. And it's amazing that what it, she gave him, according to the words of Judas, he calls it a year's salary. He says, what is she doing with this? This could have been sold, given to the poor, because it's worth a year's wages. You could do a lot more with that. Well, how many of us would have taken a year's wages and spent it on the Lord in 30 minutes? If you made, name your salary and say, honey, 30 minutes, we're going to spend every bit of this on God. It's exactly what, what Mary did. And the thing that, that's so powerful in this is that we've got to realize that when we're rich towards God like Mary, when we are rich like she is, the example of bringing the perfume and anointing his feet with it, she wiped it off with her hair. And that very thing that she brought to Jesus was sticking to her. Yeah, it, it stayed with her and between her and Jesus, the whole house had the aroma. Now, everybody experienced the smell. If Jesus was in the kitchen, you couldn't tell if it was him or her. Who is that? Can't yeah. tell. They smell the same. Mm -hmm. And so there's an identification when we give to the Lord like this that it identifies us with him and he doesn't take it away from us. 
he makes sure that it stays on us. Yes. And, and he doesn't, and, and this is the thing, Mary experienced something that nobody else in the house did. Okay. Everybody else smelt the perfume. They, they saw her do it, but she touched the Lord with it. And he joined with her yes. in partnership and it spread throughout the house and she was identified with him. And the thing that amazes me is that not only did she smell like him, she sounds like him because Jesus says this. Yes. He says that wherever the gospel is preached, this act of her generosity is going to be made known. It's not separate. You can't separate the gospel from the generosity that Mary placed upon Jesus. It's unbelievable. And remembered forever. And remembered forever. forever. So it has, it's got, it's got all the elements. It's got the uh, heaven perspective, being rich towards God, and it has the potential to reach throughout the earth and all eternity. Mm -hmm. It will not be forgotten. It's, it's amazing. So this is one of the best stories that I, that I look at when it comes to generosity because she is the epitome of being rich towards God. Amen. So what is our role? The next thing, we're about to wrap up here. What is our role in generosity? What is our role in generosity? Well, Matthew, Matthew 22, 29 says, Jesus answered them, you are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. We must know both. Friends, we must know both. Like we can't just have a bunch of head knowledge and no heart knowledge. We have to read the scriptures and let it drip down from our thinking in our head down to our hearts where Jesus lives. That's where he lives is in our hearts. And so that's where we become generous is whenever we know the scriptures. This one says, we don't know this. You're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. We must know both. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He says, he says in his word that my people perish for lack of knowledge lack of knowledge of his word. And um, he wants us to have his power and his generosity flowing in and through us. That's, that's it. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. The, the last of this, what we want to remind you is that not only do we have a role in understanding the power of God in the scriptures and standing in faith and trusting God, he will provide. He will provide for us in all things. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We, we've heard that a million times. Each man, as you were saying here just a minute ago, should give what he has decided to give in his heart not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Our generosity is established in our hearts. It's not established in our head. It's established in our heart. And God loves that. And our he, generosity doesn't have strings attached to it right. either. That's right. Like we don't, we don't have strings attached to our generosity. That's true. We just have faith and believing yep. that yep. God's going to do what he says he's yep. going to do. God said that King David had a heart for him. Mm -hmm. He didn't say he had a mind for me. He said he had a heart. He's a man after my own heart. Yes. Okay. So when we look at that, it's established in the heart. David has said this over and over that I will seek God. I will, my heart is set upon you. Our heart is establishing our generosity. Second Corinthians nine and eight says this, God is able. And I want everybody to take note of this passage specifically because it's, it has the all conclusion in it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is 
making this possible for you. We try to do it on our own. It's not going to work. It's he's able to make grace overflow and abound so that we can be graceful to others at all times and in every opportunity that comes our way. We'll close with this. What is God's purpose in this? Because it's we know that God wants to be generous to us and he wants us to meet the needs of other people as well. But there's, there's something else here that he wants us to understand and what we need to understand. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15 says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Hallelujah. What God is doing in this is he's showing off to Satan. He is showing off to the enemy. Look at the praises that come back to me. Because what happens when we give and we're rich towards God, our generosity not only meets the needs of other people, and God brings those resources back to us, but what happens is it partners us with other people and it multiplies the praises and the glory to our God. And he says there, look at my kids, look at them. They are rich towards me. I will bless them and you can't stop them. So this week, this week, the action step. Well, in light of everything that we've been talking about uh, here uh, this morning, The action step for next week is for you to ask yourself the question, am I generous towards God? So that's your action step. Ask yourself, ask ask yourself the question, am I generous towards God? Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that God gave you revelation, that you were enlightened, and that you can see more of what God has for you. Make sure you take this message one step further by following through with our action steps so you can grow deeper in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about who we are or what's happening here at Redefined Church, you can visit us online at churchredefined.com. You can follow us on social media at Redefined Church, or you can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Vimeo, or Apple. Thanks for allowing me to be part of your life. I'll talk to you soon.